east coast of Florida. It's Titusville, Cape Canaveral, somewhere around there, over where my daughter's okay. living for okay. SpaceX at the moment. All right, I want to try something else as well. See if this works. Tell me if you hear this. Hear that? Okay. Yeah. So like officially episode three of shift list, but I think we're still trying to figure out what we're doing. Here. Yeah, <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I was hoping to have a guest this week. Hadn't happened yet. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I know that I know the, uh, the person I requested join us is uh, probably interested according to their staff, but we'll find out for sure on a later episode. So, Hey, we're, we're just gonna, we're going to freewheel it today. So I think we do some of our best work when we do that. Probably best. It's probably best that we do it in the morning at coffee time instead of the afternoon or evening. Uh, mm -hmm. when, when, when other things might work into the mix, anything exciting happened to you since we chatted last Bradley? Um, Man, I really need to come into this thing with notes because there's always crazy stuff going on. Um, that's one thing I was going to talk to you about, though. I'm actually flying out to California on Monday to get my oldest and drive back cross-country with him. So I'm probably, unless I bring my laptop and microphone and attempt to do this next Wednesday, I'll be driving. So probably won't be able to participate in said podcast next Wednesday, but I can probably do it on Thursday. Okay. Thursday may be a possibility. Uh, yeah. I should be pretty flexible next week. So, uh, let's t tentatively say Thursday. We definitely don't okay. want you having to worry about things on your end and making things square peg round hole or whatever else my guess is uh, the trip itself will probably make for some decent content somewhere in the mix as well we're doing a speed run pretty much we're um we're planning on leaving corona at 7 a.m on tuesday and making it to brit's place in santa fe that evening and then getting up and making the rest of the push the next day what's the supposed uh end to end drive time when you look at it from google directions not with the brakes what how many hours does it say that it is i can't remember now no, that's what i thought 20 hours okay it's not too too bad um we'll end up knocking it's 12 hours from corona to santa fe so and you've got the problem is since you're traveling west to east you're actually losing time uh, kind of, yeah, kind of, sort of, but you gain yeah. time on the way out. Oh, you're flying out though, yeah. so that doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I just, I just did uh, a 15 hours one way trip, uh, and man, that took. I'm just now recovering from that, and that was two weekends ago. I yeah. did that. When I was doing it, it wasn't bad, but yeah, the 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 time zone shift in the middle of it, and we had the daylight savings time. Uh, shift yeah. in the middle of it and i was all out of whack last week. yeah my body didn't know when it was supposed to sleep when we were supposed to eat when we were supposed to be there <laughs> it was i've been less affected by this uh the time change this one than i ever have i believe though but i could see where all that would compile to mess you up yeah, and it, it was one of those, at the time, it didn't, it, while it, that weekend, it all seemed to kind of work pretty well, it was the following week where everything was out of sync, but I think, I think I'm finally starting to get uh, back on track. I, I think one more nap this afternoon is, is, mm. is my plan. And I I'm a sucker for a nap. I am a fan of nap, but I, I've also gotten pretty good at, uh, at power napping where, uh. 20, 30 minutes of really heavy mid-afternoon, and then it's like, boom, I'm recharged. Where it used to be, and I think there was a lot of hangovers involved and stuff like that. It used <laughs> to be my morning 
my late morning, early afternoon nap might be two, three, or even four hours every once in a while Ooh. to get recharged. I rarely take a nap. I haven't had a nap in forever. Now, that being said, I rode hard on Sunday, and we got done, I don't know, and I sat outside because the weather was beautiful on Sunday afternoon, and I sat outside and had maybe a couple of beers, and I was probably asleep at like six o'clock, just out cold, just, and woke up at like 1030, and then my whole sleep schedule was messed up, so... Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I'm a little screwy right now. Uh, just the way things work in our household anymore. It's uh, I mean, pretty much everyone's up well before dawn for various reasons. Basically, once the dogs start moving around, there's there's, you know, it, it's like okay, it's five, I'm up, let's do it, mm. and uh, it's it's kind of throwing off some other stuff, but we're getting there, and it's probably better for me to to be a five a.m. to six a.m. type guy than. A nine to ten a.m. type guy like I was in, in my uh, in my uh, wilder youth, so to speak. Um, I'm still be in my wilder youth because I'm a I'm a nine to ten ten a.m. guy. <laughs> I keep a night schedule. Like I don't know, I'm just a a, a later guy. Oh, I mean, I used to be a big time night owl, and I yeah. guess in some ways I still am. But I mean, I used to be one of those. I was up till one thirty, two, three, almost every every night, sort of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I'd stay on schedule and do three or four hours of sleep here, maybe four or five on a big night, and then every once in a while, I'd catch up and get ten to twelve hours in, sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, that that doesn't work anymore i'm still usually uh i'm still usually up after 10 but usually by 11 i'm i'm pretty much lights out and if i've had a tough day i can fall asleep between 8 and 9 p.m and i i like that it's just still not natural for me my body still doesn't my body wants to stay a night owl but yeah. my life works so much better when i go to bed early and wake up early uh, one of these days I'll become a responsible adult, but no, I'm not pushing it. Speaking of responsible adults, I see uh, a gravel bike in the background with aero bars on it. Yes, sir. That's my, uh, that's, my <laughs> that's my warbird. Those uh, those are actually uh, quick release bars that I can move from one bike to the next. It's a pretty cool setup from Redshift. I like them. I was going to say Redshift. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty that's a pretty neat setup. Those bars are actually typically on my uh my Stella is what they mm. usually are. Um but uh when I'm mountain biking, I prefer to not have the uh, comfort bars, the gravel yeah. bars on the Stella. Uh the one thing that the those bars really help at least from my perspective um for bike packing setups just if just to have other places to, you know, strap things or wrap straps around yeah. or hang stuff off of, or, you know, we'll, we'll put the light on this and don't have to worry about taking up bar space or whatever. It's, it's just, yeah, that's, that's one of the benefits. Uh, I really, uh, I, I'm a fan of the gravel bars, the aero bars, the comfort bars, whatever you want to call them for, Definitely the non-competitive side of things. Anybody that gets butt hurt over it is, uh, I think, looking at things from a very limited uh, perspective. Did you happen to catch up with, uh, or even was it even on your radar, what McAfee and Donahue just went and did this past weekend? Uh, I, I, I saw afterwards, and I saw that mm -hmm. Sean was heading that way. I wasn't up to speed on the details of this year's uh what's it wood ape ramble is that what they call it uh -huh. or, yeah uh so i wasn't up to speed on what the the details were and it looks like they had quite the adventure though yeah they were trying to do a speed run they were trying to set a fkt on that course um which kind of got tossed in the very beginning because they had to do a high water reroute and add an additional 15 miles but they were planning on doing it in 24 hours, which is, on paper, it seems eh, not that bad because it's only 120 miles or something. 
but it's not even the miles or the elevation it's just all of the the unknowns and and the creek crossings everything it's you're not just riding you, there's hike a bike sections there's one section uh, that's on a high line where you just follow the high line over three rises and it's I mean, there's not even a trail, basically. It's a hike a bike just through section. And so that's a big time suck. I mean, it's just the the, the mileage and, and elevation are highly misleading. How about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of true of most everything. Um, that's been my experience laying out. I mean, the the reality of it is anything you map mm -hmm. those numbers really don't mean anything because it's, it's just it's working with the survey data underneath it which might be you know 10 foot spreads it may be 15 foot spreads it may be 20 foot spreads and right. you don't know how much rise and fall there is actually between those different elevation levels uh so yeah. Yeah. So once you start getting into some backcountry, backwoods stuff, where maybe that some of that's never been properly surveyed, uh, oh, yeah, it's it, it's the, those numbers are completely uh, misleading is the best way to put it. And it's always going to yeah. be conservative because they can factor in total rise. Yeah, they they can never factor in what the variance is in between. So uh, whenever people just look at numbers on a on a sheet on a chart and oh that's a piece of cake, it's like man you don't know what you're yeah. dealing with for for sure. How much of that route that you're familiar with is bushwhacking, or is it all cleared trail road of some sort, or is there a bunch of bushwhacking involved? It's probably ninety five ish percent uh you know gravel and um there's a couple of of roads that are so granted the evolution of this whole thing was it was all scouted the the route was established just via satellite images and stuff and then we went up there and did a scout run on it but some of the stuff uh the connectors didn't work the way we wanted it to um, it's all old logging roads and some of those logging roads are just washed out. Um, some of them are old forest service roads that were completely abandoned. And I mean, it's, it's such a, I know you've seen something like this, but it's for people that haven't seen it before. It's really cool when you get on a road that hasn't been touched in 50 years and there's saplings and trees in the middle of the road and you can see that it's a road. But like I said, it hasn't been touched in, you know, 30, 40, 50 years, but that's your path. So that's not a quick path, but it, at least you're not having to chop through stuff. I mean, there's trees down and you have to step over them and stuff like that. But it's pretty interesting to see this road that's just been written off. So there's a lot of stuff like that and a lot of creek crossings. And like I said, that, that high line tower climb that's just brutal it's it's all national forest right or is, yeah. it, is some some of it state forest or wildlife management or anything like that or not sure so the entire east side of broken bow for the most part broken bow lake the whole east side for the most part is watchtall national forest and it's um leased by wirehauser however you say that the name of that company um, and then when you top out and you kind of get on the east side of the lake, it's that I don't know what that is. I think there's some park in there somewhere, but for the most part, it's like residential and just backcountry. But it's so pretty. I think in that 120 miles, there's like 9,000, 10,000 feet of climbing. That residential area or those county roads or is it some of it private roads or not sure no none of it's private road for the most part it's gravel in fact i think the only paving we hit is low low water crossings and stuff but um it's the the majority of the residential stuff you go through is right outside of hocha town 
um, to the west and north of Hochatown, and it goes up through Bethel, and um, I'm trying to remember where else. But I mean, there's not. That's the other thing is not. There's not any resupply on there, and that town, that little store in Bethel, I don't know. They close at like seven o'clock or eight o'clock, you know. So, but there's plenty gotcha. of creek crossings to filter from. Do you consider uh, Oklahoma water okay to filter, or are you yeah. just you, okay? Because like as, as long as it's moving. You know, we did have a, a, an episode with uh, the last Wood Ape Ramble we did. Have I told you this story? I don't know if, if you know this. They went up to scout the route a week ahead of time and thought it to be a very um, smart idea to stash a 30-pack of Coors Original in our second day camp spot, I believe. Um, and so when we got there... Somebody created a, a little blockade in the in the river or creek and put all our beers in there to cool them. And nobody thought anything of it. And we all drank the beer from the creek. Yeah. Yeah. Learn from me. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, everybody, so that was the second night. So the, the next day is when we finished up and for the most part everybody finished before all the effects hit but Caleb was patient zero and we were on a climb and he just couldn't hold it together and we ended, had to end up getting him out of there and then everybody had varying symptoms on different timelines mine didn't start till like one or two o'clock in the morning after I got home so and Adam was throwing up on the way home, on the drive home. So there was a big variance in how quickly it hit everybody. But that's the only thing we can figure out what it was because nobody, everybody didn't eat at the same place after the ride was over. And we didn't, you know, all the crossovers between what, who ate what, who shared what food and blah, blah, blah. None of it mattered. You know, it was, it all came down to who drank the beer. And it was just the fact of, Blowing off the top of the beer wasn't enough, you know. Yeah. But nobody uh, even nobody even thought about it in the time, you know. We were dog ass tired, and the beer sounded amazing, and, and nobody ever thought about it. So. Yep, and that's uh, so that's a really good uh, indirect tip for anyone that might actually be listening to this and have no idea what we're even talking about here. If <laughs> uh, if you don't do backcountry stuff, and it's it's why I was kind of touching on the. So you're okay uh, drinking Oklahoma water. Uh, I'll go more into that in a, in a, in a little bit. Um, but the nuts and the bolts of it are we're all used to drinking chlorinated, filtered city water, even if we don't live in the city, even if we're on a well. Uh, you know, We've got uh, very highly processed water, and our systems cannot take any bugs that are almost always present in any natural water setting. And that's just like you said, what you don't even think about uh, is what gets, you don't have to drink gallons of, mm -hmm. lack of a better term, free range stream water. It yeah. just takes a, it just takes a drop or two. There's so many yeah. organisms in every drop of wild water. Um, and along those lines, I mean, even if yeah, even if you jump in a creek to go swimming, you 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 definitely don't want to drink the water. But even if it's just getting in your mouth, you can get sick right. from that. And people yeah. don't think think about those things. Um, like I can't think of anywhere in Texas, for example, where I would be comfortable filtering water, even in even in running water situations, because everything in Texas, even if it has running water, there's so much runoff. From cow pastures and and agriculture and just uh, you know between between the the manure from animals and the chemicals involved in the agricultural production, there's nowhere in Texas that I I would be comfortable uh, filtering water. And there's very little running water in Texas to begin with. Uh, I can see where Oklahoma would 
uh, could definitely have a higher possibility along those lines, particularly in areas where there's not a lot of uh, ranching or agricultural production or anything like that. Forested areas, hilly areas, things like that. Uh, you know, and I mean, obviously, if if you're out of water and you got to do something, filter it, do something, filter it, boil it, do whatever you can. But yeah, just uh, unfortunately throwing cans in the stream. Uh, yeah. Man, yeah. Well, and, and and maybe I have a little bit too much false confidence in my filter, but a couple of years back, I, I made a shift in how I was handling uh, filtering or basically changed up my pack because I, I was carrying an AeroPress because I love coffee in the morning when I'm bikepacking. And I was carrying my full cook setup and I was carrying... Uh, like a hand pump like a squeeze style pump from msr and so my pump was so slow and it was just it was arduous every time i wanted to filter water and i didn't really trust it that much because it's literally just going through this tiny little filter so i switched it up and i ditched my aeropress and i went to cowboy coffee because i already have a, a cup so I'm just carrying grounds so I can get rid of the AeroPress. I got rid of that MSR filter and now I'm running a big boy MSR Guardian filter, um, which kind of pack wise is same. Um, I didn't lose any volume in my pack, but now when I filter it's crazy fast and that thing is um, supposed to be, I mean, I don't know what the level of filtration it is, but it's supposed to be like one of the best things you can do. But not only that, it screws onto the top of your bottle. So you don't have to worry about knocking your bottle over right after you get done filtering or something like that. But, and it's a steady stream and it's just a hand crank, like a hand pump kind of deal. And that thing is a beast. So I haven't had any issues, but you know, I, I see what you're saying, you know, in Texas, unless you're in, in, uh, down in hill country with all the spring fed stuff, you know, it's not like we have snow melt here in Texas, you know? So. And yeah, and that's, uh, that's the nuts. None of the filtering systems are going to do anything for chemicals, basically. Yeah. Speaking, or you, you can't count on them doing anything for chemicals. And most of them are supposedly, 99% plus effective uh, yeah. for organisms and viruses. And there's di different levels of that as, as well. Uh, but from the, uh, from the, the, the microorganism side of things, filtration works generally yeah. speaking. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty safe bet as long as you're doing it properly, but even touching on, uh, you know, something you kind of mentioned there, like when, you know, you have to be super cognizant, like when you're using like a screw on top for the filter. You have to make sure that none of the wild water is in the threads that you turn on yeah. there, because all again, all it takes is one drop. Yeah. So, yeah. But you know, working in the food service industry for so long, I think my my gut flora and fauna is a little bit different than most people's too, because I've eaten so much crazy, random, old food and nonsense. But I mean, like. In Arkansas, I've literally just dipped my bottle in the water, which is a foolish thing to do um, in retrospect, but I've never had any issues either. You know, good, clean, clear, moving water on the Womble, you know, and out of water on the way back from the lake. And I reached down and just filled up a water bottle and it was, A, it was delicious, and B, I had zero repercussions. But that being said, I don't know that I would do it again you know, I, I didn't think anything of it at the time. And then later I was like, I probably dodged a bullet there, you know? Yeah. It, you you, de you definitely did. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think things like that are ever, um, wise. <laughs> well, no, well, I guess when, you know, it, it's not like if you do that, you're guaranteed to get sick. I'm, I don't want to imply it that way, right. but it, it, you know, what, what is, you know, what is the penalty for failure sort of thing? And that's one of those, if you, if you do get sick, it can, and I've known this, I've known people that this has happened to. Yes. Nobody wants to have 
gut distress for a day or two, mm-hmm. no matter how, nobody wants to deal with that. But if that's the price you pay and two days later you're back to normal, okay, the, that was the trip tax. Right. There's, pe- there's people that have those situations and they're down and out for weeks or months afterwards. Yeah. And that's the type of stuff I'm paranoid about myself. Yeah. I, yeah, a couple days. Hey, all right. I've I've done stupid stuff that's cost me a couple days in my life. I'm willing to. Pay We've all been to Mexico. <laughs> uh, well, officially, I have not, but I have been. Now that I think about it, but yeah. Um. Okay. Well, that's 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 good stuff. So you're, and I'm not. I'm not familiar with the MSR setup that you're talking about. When you say it's a crank, is it like a plunger or it's a turn crank or how does that one work? So it's got a, um, so the other thing is this thing backwashes as it filters. So you don't ever have to backwash it. Okay. Um, so it's got, it, it looks, uh, it's smaller than a Nalgene, but it's, it's got a chamber on it. And then it's got two hoses that come off the bottom and it's got a float on it with a little flat filter screen. And it's a hand crank like this, like imagine a cylinder and then you crank it like this. A you know, it's like a side pump, you know. No, it's not top top action, it's side action. Not that? No. No. Okay. <laughs> I do admire, More I like do admire your your dice rolling game. It looks pretty legit. Um, no, it's a, it's a, I guess you'd call that a, a crank, a pump. I don't know, but it's super fast. I'll have to show it to you. Um, when we get together next time, because, and now granted it was not, it's not a, a cheap piece of kit, but I was fortunate enough to get it from as a gift for my dear mother. Um, about five or six years ago and it actually sat idle for years because I was just keeping it as like a you know car camping option because it seemed too bulky at the time or you know god forbid I actually needed it at the house you know for whatever and then I started reevaluating my kit because I was always the last person to leave the water crossings when we were filtering and I was like, man, I've got to do something better. And then I'm like, well, I've got this filter at the house. So that's when I changed up my coffee game too, because the AeroPress is not the fastest thing in the morning when you're making coffee either. Cowboy coffee's super quick, you know? Sure, sure. And I actually, I like it better, honestly, because I like the, the dregs in my coffee. I'm a nasty boy like that. Confident in my water supply is probably my biggest uh, weak factor for my backcountry stuff. I I just there, and there's a there's there's other pieces to it as well. I'm one of those. I've kind of over the years for something special. I'll definitely do a point to point and break camp every day and set up camp that night sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. But the reality is, unless it's something super special, I'm I'm going to be one of those that I would rather do a base camp type setup, where set up camp, go explore, come back to the same spot the next day, go out the next day, explore something else, come back to the same spot. Uh, it's just for me. For me, that's generally uh, just that just that additional time and lesser stress of. I'll be honest with you, I hate I hate breaking down camp. Setting up's not a problem. Breaking down camp drives me absolutely batty. Especially when there's four or five, four or five guys, and they're all breaking down, and it seems like the race has already started. But I, I'm I'm the exact opposite on, on that because I want to see stuff, different stuff every day, and I want to set up. I, part of me, like part of my enjoyment, is setting up camp different places, camping different places every night. You know, I like that. <clears throat> but you know we're not we're, I'm not racing anything right. I'm just out exploring so I'm not running a super light kit you know or anything like that so well, and that's and that's the beauty of 
the you know this type of pastime there's different strokes mm-hmm. for different folks everybody can do it different i'd rather have an hour extra of ride time is the way i look at it uh simplistically like i said something special it's it's worth the investment to to break camp and set up every every day uh, but generally yeah. speaking if i'm if i'm doing a a, a semi casual hey we've got 3 days to do something i'm probably going to err to the side of well i always come back and uh my tent's already set up and the truck's got a you know it's got a bunch of water in it <laughs> sort of thing or whatever else yeah and it also gives me the flexibility to bring my Xped Mega Mat to sleep on, which that's a, that's a game changer for me. Hmm. See, I've been a able... hammock camper. I'm a hammock guy, you know. Those don't work for me. I can't do hammocks; they drive me batty. Have you laid in a real hammock, though? Honestly, like a like not a not an Eno. You know, everybody thinks that Enos are like the the bike packing hammock but there's it's a very short format enos are only nine feet so you end up with this you know you're you're cupped almost like my hammock that i have is actually lighter than a a, an eno i forgot what they call theirs a nest eagle's nest or something like that but anyways it's 11 feet long and the material actually has a little bit of I want to say stretch, but it's not stretch. It just it just has some flexibility to it. So, the the material itself has like a a little bit of suspension in it. But the fact that it's eleven feet long and the way it's the fabric is, it's only taut on the ends. The sides are are not taut, and so you can lay diagonally in it and and end up laying dead flat. You're not like you know, feet up by your head and your butt down by the ground. It's a it's a different animal, um, I, and I just like them because they're so modular. You know, you can roll just a a tent. I mean, just a, a hammock, your suspension, and a sleeping bag liner if you want, or you can go under quilt, over quilt, liner, rain fly. You know, the whole nine yards. And I mean, I've slept down to. 12 degrees on that thing you know and then i've slept in 85 90 degrees at night you know so that's the other thing about the hammock the 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 benefit and the drawback is because you're up off the ground even when it's 70 degrees at night it gets chilly because you have air flowing top and bottom so you have to protect against that stuff i mean like when you're sleeping and it's 30 degrees it is really cold not not like 30 degrees in a tent so that is the the bigger drawback of it but and you have to have two trees in order to make it work (laughs) there there is that Uh, my fundamental issue with hammocks are i'm i'm basically claustrophobic so Mm. if i get like a hammock you're kind of you're there. There's no, there's yeah. no, and when, and when I say I'm claustrophobic, it's, it's, you know, the, uh, the, the definitely the tight spaces aspect of it comes into play, but it's just the lack of freedom that starts getting mm-hmm. in my head sort of thing. And so are you a tosser turner sleeper? Yes, I am very much. Yeah. so. That's very much. That, that seems to be the the common denominator between people that don't get along with hammocks is they toss and turn a lot or stomach sleepers. So, but to me, I, I don't crawl in the hammock unless I'm tired. And when I get in there, it's almost like a baby being swaddled. You're just, and then you're just, I mean, I'm out, you know? So it's a, a different game. But. Man, I I definitely I definitely get that as well. Like, for example, you know, one of my twenty to thirty minute power naps, I could probably mm-hmm. do that in a hammock sort of thing, mm-hmm. where it's like, yeah, I'm just I'm I'm tired. I'm gonna lay down, close my eyes, and I'm out in thirty five seconds sort of thing. Um, yeah. That that I could probably get away with a hammock, but 
Uh, most of the time at, at camp, um, again, my, my night owl stuff tending to kick in. I, uh, I kind of, I kind of crawl in the tent and I have, I have to, uh, decompress for a while listening to an audio book or whatever else, uh, yeah. before, before I get, get to sleep and a hammock situation like that would kind of drive me batty. Uh, but that, yeah, to each their own. I mean, even from the claustrophobic perspective, I can sleep in a, in a, in a one man tent, but whenever I have the opportunity, I'm going to do a two or three person tent just to have a little bit of extra spread out room myself, even, even in a tent sort of more room for activities. Well, yeah, sometimes it takes both hands, you know, you just never know. You just never Hmm. know. Hey, circle, circle back to what you were talking about with water. You know, you said clean water is always a phobia of yours. And to me, I, 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 that something kind of resonated with me on that because water's like my, my safety blanket. Like I could run out of food, you know, for 50 miles and not really panic. Sure. I can just slow down and relax. Sure. But when, when I get to like my last water bottle, I'm always thinking I got to have more water. Got to have more water. Like I've ran out of water a couple of times and it just, it never goes well. And so that's always like a, a fear of mine and, and having water is always, a, like I said, like a safety blanket almost. Cause I always think, well, if I break down, you know, or something, I get stuck, I've got to have water, especially after whatever I've already been through and everything else. So I felt, I felt what you were saying there. Yeah, along those lines, I, I kind of have a thing that I do. I know, I know this is going to drive some people nuts, the weight weenies particularly. Whenever I'm doing backcountry type stuff or not sure of the water supply type stuff, I've always got just one of those one liter screw top bottles of water stowed away somewhere that I don't mm-hmm. even factor into my planning for the day. It's... Yeah, you know, it's it's like the emergency bivy or whatever. It's just stuck there. It's there. It's the backup, and so I don't. When it's like, okay, I've got three bottles, or I've got two bottles and a bladder, or whatever else, and you know, I structure my stops or my planned day around those. I don't take into account this this last backup bottle of water. Um, it's your parachute. Yep, exactly, and. Yeah. I've never had to utilize it sort of thing. Now, when I say that, I've never had to utilize it because I ran out of water. There's been times we've, util- oh, hey, something came up. Who needs a water? I've got an extra one sort of thing because we're five miles from. I'm not worried about it. Right. Um, then you're the hero. Exactly. And I like being the hero. Yeah. What can yeah. I say? That gives me that just that next level of peace of mind. Because what I've found on my multi-day stuff is it's the it's the crap that gets in your head when you're three hours in and you ah, do I have enough water? I don't know. Do right. I, mm, pedal for another thirty minutes and and it's just been it's been just chewing in the back of your head with each yeah. pedal stroke in that cadence while some background songs going in your head. And, but every yeah. three minutes, do I have enough water? I'm starting to get more thirsty. Yeah. I don't. Any of those I can take out of the equation just makes my yeah. ride that much more enjoyable. It gets crowded in there real quick when you start thinking about all that shit. <laughs> you know, you're just like, uh, how much further? What am I going to eat tonight? Did I bring my hammock straps? Do I have enough water? <laughs> you know, all those thoughts. Great to mitigate as many of those as you can. It's it, it, and it's it's stupid stuff that can get in the way. Uh, when I did uh, when I did Dirty Cons in 2011, I I can't remember. Was it the first stop? I I, I think what it's it's there's the first stop, there's the midpoint stop, and then there's a the third stop. I think was the way it worked. And I can't remember. Mm-hmm. It may, there may have been two stops and then the midpoint was the third stop. I can't remember, but it was before the midpoint stop. It was a really crowded store. Uh, still lots of people before me and after me and, and sort of thing. And you're talking about the, the, the grocery store. 
It was, I mean, it was like a oh. convenience store, but okay. you didn't, I mean, it, it's, it's a different route each year. So I assume the stops are different each year too, but maybe not. I don't know. But I was there I, I in two, I was there in 2011. Oh, you were there? Yeah. That was the year we got rained on and everything. That, that was, that was the stupid hot year that Koshin, you were talking. You were talking about getting rained on with Koshin and seeing him drinking a beer or whatever. That was 2011. 2011 was the year that Koshin fell out before the midway point and Charity had to go get him. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that was okay. the same year. And then oh, we got okay. rained on. Did we well, get rained on? It got rain and hail and after the second half cuz yeah. that was that, that was that year it was so hot and humid. And yeah. it just went absolutely nuts. But then that, that big old thunderhead popped up, blocked the sun, and cooled things down. Um, so, okay, so we were talking about the same year there. You had mentioned drinking a beer with Koshin or whatever. And when mm -hmm. I saw him, he was he was laid out. He wasn't even moving. So I didn't think he would yeah. ever be drinking a beer. But um, the uh, that year when I left the store between – before it was the one before the the midpoint i got a couple miles down the road and somehow or another it got in my head that i had lost my phone mm. i thought i'd left it i got concerned i had left it behind at the store it was cuz it was a weird thing i had like gone in the store and bought a couple of dr peppers and somebody else that was there said, oh, they wanted to die at one sort of thing. So I just, because there's like 50 people in line at the store. So I took the Dr. Pepper back and stuck it in the refrigerator and just grabbed a diet and went back out to the group I was hanging out with. And then somebody from the store came chasing me down like I had stolen a Dr. Pepper. From, it would turn into this fiasco thing. Hmm. And... Um, so that got me all discombobulated there. And then somehow or another, I got down the road a ways, and it's like, where's my phone? I, I can't find my phone. And it's like, ah, it's, it's in my, it's in, and I had, I had a camelback or something that year. And it's like, ah, it's in my camelback somewhere, and blah, blah, blah. And, but kept going down the road, and it's like, it kept eating at me. And it's like, damn it, it it's not where it should be. And so I, just, I had to turn around and start going back to the store. Like I must have left it on the picnic table there, and um, got almost to the store, and just stopped, took a deep breath, had to think about it, and I had it clipped to the shoulder strap <laughs> right here yeah. on my on my camel back, and I mean I probably lost an hour there. It's basically yeah. what happened, and. That for me that that and that and it's why Koshin was falling out and whoever else was falling out that year is because in Texas we'd actually had a cool year that year so that yeah. going up going up to Emporia was our first exposure to to heat that year yeah. and I thought I was pretty trained up for it but that heat and humidity in Emporia and that extra hour in the heat of the day just absolutely kicked my ass i pulled the plug at the midpoint there um, and there's no there's no coverage there there's no um shelter there's not a tree in sight i sat i sat under a loafing shed just because i was seeing stars it was so hot yep and then and then i can't remember what mile marker it was but like somewhere around 120 115 or something um, I had pulled over and sat on the side of the road and there were actually some trees and there was a fence running right there and I was sitting there just dinged out of my head and I started hearing water and I was like, I'm hearing stuff. And I thought I was, you know, just dinged out and I start following it. I walk, I mean, I was probably, I don't know, 50 yards and there's just water pouring out from underneath the road. And I look and I look and I go, it looks like it's almost coming out of a culvert, but it's only like a four or five inch pipe. I'm like, what is going on? So I walk to the other side of the road and there's nothing there. 
I come back and I start looking at it's just crystal clear water. Here we go again. <laughs> and and I sit there and I go, man, what what could this be? You know, I'm trying to puzzle it all out. Like I said, I'm dinged out and burning up and you know, just been putting in effort. I reach down and touch it and it's ice cold and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is going on? And then I finally look on the fence and there's a uh like an old Stanley mug looking deal just with a, a piece of baling wire holding the handle onto the fence. I'm like, somebody drinks this. And I'm like, I think we're in good hands. So I fill up a water bottle, take just a little sip, and it tastes like just the best filtered water you've ever had. It's a spring. Mm -hmm. And so I fill up my water bottle and I drink like almost an entire bottle, fill it up again, and I get going. And it was like this perfect little oasis. So next year, when I went and did it, I'm riding and all of a sudden I go, I know where I am. And I stopped there again and got water. And it was such a beautiful thing because ice cold water in the middle of the race. So, but I didn't filter that either. <laughs> I was, and actually, actually spring water, you can probably get away with it uh, because, uh, I mean, that's essentially as filtered as you can get is what yeah. it boils down to uh it's 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 already been filtered through you know, hundreds of feet if not miles of limestone to to get yeah. there sort of thing uh and yeah that that 2011 year man i can't remember who there was somebody else uh that was part of our regular crew about the time I saw Koshin, I think I saw Shannon too. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah, um, Shannon Bell too. They were waiting for me at the like one thirty six when we got off all those sea roads when it was just mud on mud on mud. And, I think I have my years right. Well, no, Koshin didn't make it to halfway. Right, I know and, he was. He okay. was stopped. Oh, he was already in street okay. clothes. Okay, I thought you. I thought you said Koshin. Oh, okay. I follow what you're saying. I'm. I sorry. Yeah. I follow now. Um, there was somebody else, and basically, Mike Smith. May have been Smith. It may yeah. have been Smith. It was before the halfway point, just in the heat of the day, just as that thunder. I saw that thunderhead starting to pop up, but it hadn't blocked the sun yet. Mm -hmm. And and I'm chugging up the road. I think it was after Charity had come the other way, and she, you know, she was she was she was having she was in a fit about Matt, and yeah. I go and I look off to the right, and it's like the only tree for miles. <laughs> a quarter mile off the road, over a couple of barbed wire fences, and I think it was Smith, just yeah. sprawled out underneath it in the one patch of shade that there, that yeah. there was to be had. And uh, I looked at that, it's like, I just don't feel like jumping over the damn fence. I'm gonna make it to yeah. the store at least. because. <laughs> Well, we had this ministry trailer dropped at that store that w with our resupply and everything like that, and that was uh, mm. that that was that was part of the equation. It's like I knew everything was there, and I think actually Ben Wright's dad was there supporting him, and I think we threw our bikes in the back of the ministry trailer, and I think Ben Wright's dad took us back to Emporia from that midpoint because he had. He had bailed out there too, but well, you've been with me, man. I just I can't do the heat. I yeah. if I once I get overheated, I'm done, and uh, that's the irony. Most, yeah, I was going to say most redheads are the same way. A lot of redheads, I should say, shouldn't generalize, shouldn't stereotype. All the but, all the ones I know are. That doesn't mean they all are. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I've I've been with Red before when he's fallen completely apart just due to heat, you know. And that guy okay. pounds water and and everything, but man, that guy sweats just thinking about walking to the mailbox. So <laughs> we are kindred souls in the in that regard. And but he's yeah he's 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 ten times tougher than I ever thought about being. So if he has to, if it. If it knocks him for a loop from time to time, uh, it doesn't make me feel as bad. And I, that that can get really scary really quickly. Unfortunately, um, we've never had anyone um, at our events uh, 
that uh, had any permanent damage or thankfully no one's ever passed away or anything like that yeah but we've had we've had some scary situations uh, mm-hmm. at our events that you know we've you know we've we've had to hit the 911 button uh, for yeah. for for heat issues and it's just something I don't I just don't play with from that perspective because it's yeah it's it's one of those things that the people that it's affecting once you get to that point you don't even realize how bad off you are so you you can't police yourself you have to have somebody else pull the plug is what it boils yeah. down to another thing uh, on to like safety and stuff one of the things that seems so simple that i started doing a couple of years ago is having people's contact in my phone like we were doing a ride forever ago it was on a, a tuesday night or a thursday night when we used to do gravel out of the house and we got back to the house everything's cool and i was cooking something and the guy and paula's in the kitchen and um the guy that was that was with us on the ride super strong rider i mean like made me feel like a chump all the time and we're standing there talking and he just eyes roll back in his head and he passes out in my kitchen and I, I panicked only because I don't know this guy's medical history I don't have his wife's contact I don't know you know is he allergic to something do I need to is this an EpiPen situation is he have a fainting history you know I didn't know anything and in that moment I felt so helpless you know um luckily he was fine it was just low blood sugar you know he stood up locked his knees out it was uh you know a bunch of 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 little ancillary things that added up and contributed and he's a small guy anyways and just probably was running on empty but after that going forward i was like you know once we got him good and everything i just started thinking about it's like it's so stupid for me not to have his wife's contact you know in case something happens you know and because like i said i would not have had a clue what to do like do i need to take him to a hospital what's the issue you know at the same rate it's a tough call to call somebody's wife and be like hey there's a problem with your husband we were on a ride so you have to balance that but at the same time to me it's more of peace of mind back to the kind of water thing you know that is a parachute that you need to have but also when you get into a backcountry situation on a multi-day event you kind of need to know who's next to you you know are they on medication do they you know do they have any tendencies to panic to freak out or you know whatever and so you don't get caught off guard but i like to have contact information just I know that may seem so simple, but it's something that I never thought about until that particular incident. Kind of along those lines indirectly in the, the backcountry multi-day stuff. Uh, I did finally get a little bit of feedback on uh, th- that Colorado stuff that we talked about in the segments that mm-hmm. we talked about a bit uh, last week. And uh, I was I was tasked with doing a 12-day version and see what that looks like. So the, the <laughs> I, I thought I thought those numbers were going to be a little um, doom and gloom for some people. Hey, speaking of Colorado, are you able to talk about over the top? Sure. I've been getting a lot of questions about that, and I'm okay. un, unfamiliar with what the format is, what the you know what it looks like it's a two-day event is that correct well so uh the, the the short answer is it's what you want it to be we don't have sign up opened up yet we're taking mm-hmm. you know we're taking signups from people that might be interested in it to, so they get on the email list so as the pieces come together does that mean you're interested mm-hmm Okay, mm-hmm. let, let, definitely let's talk about it. And let me rough out what I'm kind of thinking and de- mm-hmm. give me your honest feedback or issues you have or different thoughts you may have. And that'll help me put together the different options for people to pursue. The simplistic approach is it's a 100-mile loop mm-hmm. from from Alma on the north to Weston Pass on the south as our midpoint and then Leadville about three quarters of the way around and then back to Alma. That's a hundred mile loop. Mm 
<laughs> Leadville to Alma is a freaking beating, though. <laughs> it is. It is. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so, it, departing from Alma Saturday morning. So, there's multiple mm-hmm. ways it can be done. Uh, we have the Weston Pass Hut, basically in the midpoint, reserved for Saturday night. Uh-huh. Uh, so, people that want to do it in two days, mm-hmm. do it that way. If somebody wants to do it as a through ride and knock it out continuous, well, I, I can't stop them. It's public roads and public trail and everything like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm not going to be supporting that. If somebody right. goes past w- Weston Hut on Saturday night, they're on their own from there. There's nothing I can do for them at that point. Um, you said it's 100 miles. What's the elevation? Do you know? Oh, now you're asking the hard And we're back to is well, it real elevation. Hey, we do need to have a conversation about elevation because I've always been confused about this, admittedly. Okay. Like when, when, here's my big dumb question, and this is seriously based out of ignorance. When, when I do a Strava ride, you know, when I, when I look at my Strava post ride and it says, just for example, 20 miles, 1500 feet of elevation, is that counting gain and loss and totaling those? Well, gain, loss, then more gain, so it adds the gains together. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, total gain, total loss, and then the aggregate of those two. Is that how elevation is derived, generally speaking? Well, I mean, loss isn't factored into it. It's only, it's, it's, anytime you go uphill, Uh it's factored into your elevation gain, but it's not, it's not the elevation game total in a linear, it's not an altitude gain because we have no altitude here. So how are you going to get 2,000 feet of climbing in, in North Texas when you're, you're going back and forth between 680 feet and 690 feet all day long? That's so, what I'm saying. It's an aggregate of the gain and loss, right? No, no, it's just the gains. Losses aren't factored into it as far as calculation because you go you go from you go from 680 to 685 that's 5 feet right mhm you go from 685 back down to 680 you don't subtract anything out so there's no loss equated but then you go from okay. 680 back up to 685 so that's another 5 feet so that's 10 feet cumulative does that make sense let's let's not get further cuz i'm going to get lost on the math i'm kidding jokes sorry no, that does make sense. That makes perfect sense. But I, I, it's one of those things I've, I've thought about, talked about a couple of times, but I've never, it's never been put to bed in my head, if you will. So that makes total sense. <clears throat> because now, uh, otherwise, if you did a loop, you would theoretically have zero gain. Correct. Zero elevation. Correct. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Sorry. I told no. you it was purely based out of ignorance. No, I mean that it's a, it's a it's a common question, it's a common uh misconception. And then there's the other factor of it of altitude as well. So like if you're going straight up a mountain, if you're going from 10,000 to 12,000 feet, well that's 2,000 feet of altitude gain. Uh, mm-hmm. and some stuff is calculated that way depending on how you look at maps or routes or or whatever else. But from a bicycle riding perspective, we're talking total elevation gain. So right. the, the total amount of feet you went uphill throughout that ride, whether it'll be loop or point to point, uh, is the way to look at it. Basically, you know, every time the, the, the watts in your e-bike help you go up the hill. <laughs> it's somewhere around 12.5 or, or something. I remember it being... Yeah, that sounds right. I, yeah. Um, I remember it being a, around 125 per mile. But that's, <clears throat> again, that's going to be a low estimate. Yeah, I think call it twelve five to 13,000, and it's probably close yeah. to 15,000 in all actuality. Yeah. That's the way that, tip, that typically works along those lines. So going back to where we started, so that's the uh, – that's the – 
kind of main version is meant to be a two-day continuous loop of 100 miles. But that does have that Mosquito Pass Leadville to Alma pitch in it, which is a monster. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's gnarly. Yeah. Um, Did you drive the Jeep over that, by the way? I have not yet. I have not yet. Uh, The one time I tried to... The one time I tried to take the Jeep up from the Leadville side, there was a boulder uh, down in the middle, and I couldn't make the final switch back. Uh, I wasn't going to climb up and over the boulder myself by myself without a spotter sort of thing. And all the other times I tried to go up there from the Alma side, we were going. It was a high snow year, and it, it hadn't opened yet. I mean... Adam and I tried tried to take the Jeep through the snow from the Alma side. We made it like three inches in, and it's like, you know, right, we're not going anywhere. We're Goodness. not going anywhere. I, I took Adam's fat bike from Alma over to Leadville, and I'm in the middle of just trudging up all that just baby heads and boulders and stuff, and just going, I can't even imagine driving over this, you know. You turn that first corner, you just look, and it's just, and then it just gets all rutted out and and everything. I was just wondering, I mean, it's probably faster, almost faster to take a bike over that. Generally speaking, uh, unless you've got a super built rig, you know, with 40-inch plus tires on it and all sorts of suspension travel, yeah, you can can do it on a normal four-wheel drive vehicle with maybe some oversized tires. Uh, but just a, a regular vehicle, you're probably going to be quicker on a bike than you were in a in a, a non uh, a non maxed out yeah. Jeep rig sort of thing. That's the that's the one option for over the top is the traditional two day way that we've done it, and we're going to have limited overnight space in Weston Pass Hut itself because mm-hmm. we their guidelines are I think uh, ten people max or something I can't remember but anyway. That's the total number of people we can have in the hut. Uh, but there's plenty of dispersed camping around there for other people that, you know, don't don't reserve a spot in the hut. So I just and need two ca- trees. Well, you're two gonna trees. Be, you're going to have to be down the hill because we're above tree. Oh, line. yeah. Damn it. Yeah, that's not fun. Well, but it's on stilts, it. right? No. I thought that house was on stilts for some reason. <clears throat> Does it not have a, a balcony or a, a patio that goes out? We'll talk. We'll, we'll talk about that Fair. later. That that Fair. that's so, so. Basically, what I'm getting at is there's going to be limited space in the hut, but mm-hmm. there's all sorts of you know national forest land all around it. Some a uh-huh. little. You know, a thousand feet lower in elevation on this side of the pass, some a thousand feet on the other side of the pass. So there's trees not too far away. So yeah. what you could theoretically do if you were bound and determined to sleep in your hammock, you could come up to Western Pass Hut, have dinner with us, use the bathroom, go down the hill a little bit and set up your hammock and get up early the next morning and finish going down the hill is one way it could be approached, hypothetically. Um, so, but again... So the midpoint loop is one option. Another option will be people that don't want to do the Mosquito Pass. They can go back on that east side back to Alma on a, on a different route, and they'll still end up with 100 miles total. They just won't have the Mosquito Pass uh, part in it uh, is the way we're looking at it. So there, the, it's still going to be a, a two-day ride that way uh, with the option to stay at the hut. But you don't have to go up and over Mosquito Pass, which I recognize isn't for everyone. Um, so th- those are so what sorts of questions did you have, or have you heard, or what's what's confusing about it? Uh, just the format. Um, was it going to be an overnighter? <clears throat> was it supported? What was the length? What was the elevation? What time of the year? Um, August twenty sixth. I'm going to put that in my calendar right now, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. I'm pretty sure it's August, whatever that weekend is anyway. And 
So the 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 the, the, the semi. So the way it's going to be is those ten spots in the hut. That's basically basically what we're going to offer is semi supported. Mm -hmm. Um. Haven't figured out exactly how we're going to do that yet. What what's going to you know how that qualifies. Um, mm -hmm. I have some ideas, but I haven't I haven't nailed that down. And since that's since those are the dedicated few spots that you know that's all the people that can sleep in the hut, and that's basically all the gear I can carry in the truck is ultimately what it boils down to. That's true. Uh, if other people want to join us on a self-supported basis, we're going to be able to allow another. 45 or 50 people up to I don't think we'll have that many people that are interested in that but you know we we can have you know we can have club ministry members that show up and join us for the ride and if they want to come by the hut like I was talking about hey we you know maybe we'll have a, a big potluck dinner or something like that for anybody that joins you know we'll have coolers with drinks and that sort of thing but we, we can't put 50 people in the hut is what it boils down yeah to. yeah First come, first serve. Something along those lines, and that's what I need. To, that's that's what I need to figure out myself. You know what? I think I'm going to cut us off here for this one. See how the okay. audio came out. I think we're I think we're cleaner with all that. I think. Well, uh, I will touch base with you Tuesday. See what your plan is. Good luck with that speed run, and uh, and we'll talk again soon, buddy. All right. Great talking with you, man. Later. Later.